Welcome everyone to Pursuing Justice. My name is Harriet Hendel, and I certainly hope that last time you were listening to our series, uh, we, we try to pick a theme uh, each month, and this time we have a guest, Kenneth Hartman, with us. He was with us last time, and uh, his daughter will be with us um, the next time. So uh, Ken spent 38 years in prison on a sentence of life without parole, and that's what we are talking about. He was in California, and thanks to Governor Brown, he was released almost three years ago uh, in December of this year. So we, we spoke about um, the issue of life without parole uh, and how um, it really robs people of, of hope and redemption. And uh, I, we also talked about other countries and how few of them have a sentence as harsh as life without parole. So today, um, we want to talk a little bit about um, Ken's writing. He has authored uh, two books, and he'll tell us a little bit more about that. Ken, welcome back to Pursuing Justice. I'm happy to be back, Harriet. Thank you for inviting me again. Great. All right. So um, we, we talked about programs that uh, might have been a source of support there are some prisons uh, that I know about that have a writing program. One of those prisons happens to be in Connecticut, and uh, it is run by the author Wally Lamb, who comes in and does a writing workshop. Do you know of, of any other prisons that uh, do something like that? Um, I actually do, and I and I know I actually know very well a Wally Lamb's program, and I've read uh, some of the works that have been published out of that program, which are just absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's really one of the one of the most impressive programs I've ever heard of, frankly. Uh, but um, yeah, there's programs in New York State. There's programs in writing programs are not that uncommon in prisons, actually. Mm, that's great. And mm -hmm. why, why do you feel uh, a writing, a creative writing program is beneficial for the people mm -hmm. uh, who take it, the inmates? Sure. Yeah, you know, I think um, probably from my perspective, the biggest positive about a writing program is I, th I think that there's there's enormous opportunity for people to explore their own feelings, to explore their own lives. Um, I think it's extraordinarily cathartic in the in the in the you know the classic sense of the word. It's a way to get things out of you that are troubling you, that are causing you uh, pain and distress, and it's a way to explore your own life and explore yourself. So as someone who's done quite a bit of writing myself, I, I attribute much of my, you know, quote unquote, rehabilitation to writing. Now, did you know that you had this ability to write? Um, no, I really did not. And in fact, uh, it's, it's sort of looking back on it, it's sort of a kind of a funny thing in some ways, but um, my former wife, uh, Aaliyah's mother, um, and I, I believe you're going to talk to Aaliyah at some point. We are. Um, uh, her name was Anita, and she used to tell me all the time, oh, you should be a writer. You write the most beautiful letters, you know, and mm -hmm. I would always just kind of poo-poo it and like, I'm not going to be a writer. I mean, I never even graduated from high school. How am I going to be a writer? 
And, um, and after one of my, one of my trips to the hole for political <laughs> activities, uh, <laughs> I got out of the hole. I did not have a job. I was on a different facility. I had nothing to do. And I noticed a flyer that said there was a creative writing class being taught through the, what was uh, the UCLA extension program, university of California, Los Angeles extension program. And I thought, eh, why not? It's something to do. And I signed up for it. And I met a man named David Scott Milton, who uh, was an absolutely spectacular writer and was a teacher at the film school at UCLA and USC. Uh, we became very good friends uh, as years went on. And I got to see him uh, when I got out, I'm happy to say, although he has since passed away. But um, I just, the first thing I wrote was basically a public apology to the city of Long Beach for what I had done to put myself in prison. And they published it. And it took up like uh, half the page of the Sunday paper in the opinion section. And I thought, well, you know, I kind of enjoy writing. And I began writing and I haven't really stopped uh, since then. That was 1992. So that's when I started writing. Wow, that's incredible. Now there is a um, prison writing contest um, uh, under the umbrella of PEN America, which mm -hmm. is called Poets, uh, it stands for Poets, Essayists, and Novelists. And that that is a wonderful outlet for people mm -hmm. in prison to submit either a, a novel, a play, a story, a memoir, or a poem. And uh, they give cash prizes, they're not huge, but it's it's recognition across the nation that you know you have won this uh, this writing contest and it's been going on for since 1971. So I mm -hmm. thought I, I would mention that. Did you ever submit anything to Penn or did you not know about them? I, I did not ever submit anything to Penn. I did know about them. I did mm -hmm. use their how to do a writing class in prison publication to oh. do a writing class in prison. <laughs> oh, <laughs> when I taught right. writing class in prison for years, um, I, I never did. I, and I'll be honest with you, my fundamentally, I, I made a decision pretty early on that I wanted to write to the general public. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't want to write to people who already agreed with me. Um, and I kind of said, you know, I think I'm just going to try to write for general publication magazines and newspapers, which I did. And that was kind of my focus. Uh, I so see. I actually did never apply them. They are a fabulous uh, program and they do great work. No question they, about that. They certainly do. They certainly yeah. do. Um, and you, you wrote Mother California. When, when was that published? And how uh, do you get a book published when you're sitting behind bars? Right. So uh, the book was published in 2008. I began writing it in 2007, late 2006, I suppose. Um, it was published by uh, Atlas and Company in New York. Uh, the publisher's name is James Atlas, who uh, was a fairly well-known man in the literary community, who I also got a chance to see when I got out, although he too has passed away since then. But um, yeah, I, you know, I, I just wrote the book and I sent it out uh, to him as a manuscript and they transcribed it and, you know, and, and did the editing on it and whatnot. And we went back and forth uh, for about a year 
um, you know, making editorial changes and, and rewrites and things like that. And and then they published it. Atlas and Company published it. And and you know, it's it is one of these things. It is not illegal to to write or to publish a book when you're in prison, contrary to some legal mm -hmm. ideas. It's not illegal. And what about the um, uh, the money that comes from the purchase of the book? Is, is there that as a factor? Are you permitted to receive money from the sale of the book? Well, yeah, it, this is a this is a really complicated subject, and I and mm -hmm. I know that um, that you're actually I believe based in New York State, right. uh, and it's a really big issue in New York State. It goes all the way back to the Son of Sam case. That and, I remember. Uh, Sure. And, and there are laws in many states uh, that are often referred to as Son of Sam laws. The, uh, the, the man who went by the uh, nickname Son of Sam uh, received a fairly large amount of money to publish his, his story. People were quite outraged by that. And laws were passed all around the country that said you cannot profit off of your crime, which is the way it is framed. Mm -hmm. uh, the United States Supreme Court has struck down those laws every single time that they've been challenged up to the U.S. Supreme Court because you do not lose your First Amendment rights when you go to prison, regardless of whether people think, people think you should or not. You literally don't. And, um, and I, I was paid in advance for the book, and oh. I did receive the money. And, I, and you know, it, it wasn't a giant amount of money, and the book was unfortunately not a giant uh, you know, wasn't a bestseller or anything. I wish it would have been, um, you know, and anyone who happens to be listening to this podcast, feel free to read it and, uh, you know, tell all your friends. But, um, you know, it is still it is still in print. Atlas and Company went out of business uh, and um, the book is now in print uh, and can be purchased through Amazon. Right. It can be purchased through a wonderful uh, company that I like. It's called Abe, A-B-E, Abe Books. And also on eBay, because I just bought it for a couple of people who are in prison. I thought they'd like to read it. So, yes, it, it definitely is available. Um, now, let, let's move to a little different subject. At the last time we spoke, we just barely uh, talked about uh, the concept of conjugal visits in prison um, and you can tell us more about how, I don't actually know, how many prisons in the country permit visits for uh, a family for a few days um, on the grounds of the prison? Uh, very few, actually. Very uh, New few. York's, yeah, New York State is one of the states that does allow that. Um, uh, California does. Uh, there are, and again, I mean, I... To be honest with you, I don't know the exact number today. I, I knew more about that years ago, but um, I would be willing to guess it's probably less than 10% of the states, something like that. It's there probably is. five or six, maybe seven states. And and in your prison, they had permitted that, um, but then what happened to the country? Well, yeah. Well, they, they had had conjugal visits since the 70s. Uh, mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan was the governor when they were brought in, oh. when California was on a kind of a uh, rehabilitation uh, push. And um, uh, they lasted until the uh, late 90s for for people who were sentenced to life uh, in the in, in 1996 all life sentenced prisoners and, and several other classifications of prisoners were barred from receiving 
uh, what they were called in California family visits. They were not merely family visits. Yeah, you could visit with your children. You could visit oh. with your mother, your father, your brothers and sisters. Oh, they were for all immediate family members. They they were often referred to as conjugal visits to kind of you right. know make it a little more salacious, I guess. <laughs> but um, and and they were for that too. It wasn't. They weren't for that. And I was married in 1987. Uh, and I received conjugal visits until 1996, and when they were taken away. And was there a reason that they took them away from certain classifications of uh, prisoners? Well, I mean, uh, so they they said that uh, people who were serving life terms uh, shouldn't be receiving uh, family visits because they were never going to get out of prison and it didn't make any sense for them to be maintaining family connections. Uh, Literally, they said these things. Um, And, but I mean, what it was really about, Harriet, was this was the height of the, you know, the get tough years, Mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote, let's get tough on crime, which in prison meant get tough on people who were in prison and their families and their children, you know, all that. And um, yeah, it was, it was really politics. You know, it was uh, the, the governor at that time wanted to demonstrate how tough he was on crime. And he, he ordered the Department of Corrections to cancel um, family visits for people serving life and, and several other things. Yeah, that, that must have been heartbreaking for so many people, of course, including you. So then you, you said you got married. And as a result, um, you and your former wife had a little girl. And uh, it indeed. Tell us about that. That was pretty incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, it was, you know, um, we, we had talked about having a child for years, and it was a very complicated thing for someone serving a life term. And, right. uh, and I, my former wife really, really wanted a child, and ultimately I agreed. Certainly it was a 50-50 proposition. It wasn't like one person made the decision. And, um, and you know, um, she got pregnant with my daughter, and uh, and this was in 1995. And Aaliyah was born the day after Christmas in 1995, and she'll be 25 years old here in a few months. Um, it was, uh, you know, it was, I think when I look back on sort of the, the most important events in my life that turned my life around from the person I was when I killed a man in a drunken fistfight uh, to who I am today, I think that was probably, you know, the most important and sort of the last thing that turned me completely 180 degrees away from being that, you know, that uh, broken young man into a functioning adult. Right. How? What was the span of time uh, between your entry into prison and Aaliyah's birth? How many years had gone by? Oh, I had been in prison then, uh, let's see, 15 years. Oh, okay. 15 years, yeah. And and how? what kind of a difference did it make to suddenly have uh, a child in your lives, you and your former wife? Well, it was, I mean, I can, I can speak for myself. Um, I know for my former wife, it was very, very tough. You know, it really was. And of course, anyone who's been a single parent, I'm sure can attest to how tough it is. But um, speaking for myself, you know, I, I have been asked this question many, many, many times. And I would say 
the thing that matters the most about that as far as my my life went is from the very beginning you know I, I the thing I wanted the most was I did not want my daughter to be ashamed of me and and that was a powerful motivator for me to be a better man and it's still a powerful motivator for me to be a better man um, I, I wanted my daughter even though I was in prison, even though I had done terrible things as a teenager, I wanted her to be able to have feel pride in me and, and not be ashamed of me being her father. And that was sort of like, that was the, the gasoline that sort of drove me forward to do better things and become a better man. And, and tell us more specifically what you mean by that, um, that she was a motivator. What, what did she motivate you to change? What changed, I guess? Yeah, sure. I, I, I think probably, so when my daughter is born, this is right around the time that I begin the process of trying to create the honor program. This is when I become much more serious and focused in trying to make the prison world a better world than the world that I found it and the world that I was stuck in. Um, I, I guess probably... I just felt very, very, it was very important to me that when, when my daughter looked at my life, you know, later on in her life, she would be able to say, you know, he did good things. He may have done bad things, but he did good things too. And that meant a, a whole lot to me. And I, it still means a lot to me. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it just, it, it sort of hardened up my conviction that I, had to be a better person than I had been. Right. Well, that's that's great. And what were visits um, when they removed family visits? You just had the visiting room. Were those difficult times to just uh, be with so many other people in the visiting room uh, and and see her as she grew up? Well, you know, I mean, it's it's sort of I guess it's it's like a double edged sword, I suppose. I mean, it's seeing her was always a wonderful, fantastic thing for me. I, there was not a moment in my life that I have not, you know, loved my daughter and been immensely proud of her and, you know, and deeply, deeply uh, impressed by her, which I am to this day. Um, but yeah, there was, there was certainly a bittersweet quality to it. And, and of course I knew um, that, you know, I, I knew that, the life that I had helped bring her into was not the best life for a kid. And I knew mm -hmm. that. And I felt bad about that at some level. And I still do. You know, I, I do not regret her existence for one second. Mm -hmm. But of course, you know, it's one of those things where you think, you know, going looking back on it, it's like, well, should I really have done that? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's a, it's a really complicated thing. Like I say, she's a fabulous young woman and, a, and a definitely the world is a better place because she's in it. But, um, you know, was it fair to put that on her? Yeah. And it's, it was, it's difficult for, I think for everybody, uh, in, in a family, whether it's the distance you have to go to visit, uh, yeah. the, the conditions of the visiting room. I've been in so many visiting rooms. I can't even count. And I, I see what it's like. And when you when you go to a women's prison and you see the children running into the visiting room, into the arms of their moms, it mm -hmm. it, it always breaks my heart. So mm -hmm. it's it's very, mm -hmm. very hard. How did you stay in touch with her other than the uh, actual 
visits? Well, from pretty much from uh, the day she was born, I sent her a card or a letter or something every week. Um, I, when she reached the point where she was able to talk, I spoke to her on the phone. I was very lucky that the, the place I was at, it was not that difficult to get phone time. Oh. And I would speak to her on the phone usually every single day, seven days a week, sometimes for as long as an hour at a time. Mm. Um, we had we had a very close relationship in that regard. We talked all the time. Um, we were very, very close. And, um, you know, we talk all the t- time on the phone still, actually. We have a very, uh, we have a very close phone-based relationship to this day. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I was in contact with her. Very rarely was I out of contact with her for more than a day or two. And, you know, and so. that makes all the difference. That, and that's what's, that's what's so disturbing about the removal of the family visits because mm-hmm. they are so, um, so motivating in terms of uh, behavior. Because if you, ha- if you get a disciplinary ticket, they can take them away. So you, you would think that the prison system would want to promote family closeness. And they sometimes do everything they can to the opposite end, which is very, very sad. So from your perspective, and we are almost out of time, but we're going to be talking to Aaliyah um, next week, and we'll hear her perspective on what it was like for her. But from where you sit today, um, what, what do you think the impact of... Um, seeing her for so many years um, in in prison, I guess it was about what twenty two years of her life where she visited you in prison, and the last almost three now you know you've been out. But wh- what impact do you think it had on on Aaliyah? Oh, I'm I have no doubt that the what she experienced was terribly traumatic and was definitely hard on her for the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, it's, I don't even know what other to say than that. It's, it was, it was very hard for her. I have no doubt. I think she has turned into an amazing young woman in spite of that. Um, I, like I say, I did everything I possibly could to mitigate that. We did have a very close relationship. We still do to this day. Um, and I, you know, I hope 50 years from now when I'm long gone and she's talking to her children or her mm-hmm. grandchildren, she will be able to say, yeah, you know, he actually wasn't that bad a guy. You know, he probably, probably wasn't the smartest move in the world to have a kid while he was in prison, but he did everything he possibly could to get out and join my life. And, you know, and we had a good relationship. I yeah. hope that's what she says. I think the proof is... Um, the proof and, and the key is what you've just told us, that you never, never stopped trying nope. to connect to her. And, and nope. I, I think there are lots of parents who give up, um, and then maybe the kid gives up, and, and that's how it goes. But you never did, and that um, speaks so beautifully for you. And I think Aaliyah is the beneficiary of that. 
So uh, we are delighted that she has agreed to come on the program. Um, I encourage my listeners to um, follow our our theme this this month, where we have uh, Ken as our guest, um, and after Aaliyah comes, we will have a final meeting with Ken uh, again. I hope Ken, you will come back in a couple of weeks so we can close out how you have been doing since you got out nearly three years ago. Would you do that for us? I absolutely will. I look forward to it, Harry. Thanks for inviting uh, me. That's great. That's great. So I will say goodbye to our listeners today and please uh, join us on Pursuing Justice next time. And thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.